morning, my friends. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Lake Point Church. And, uh, oh my gosh, when the band gets going, did you hear that guy wailing on the guitar? That is not the church I grew up in. My mom was the organist, so that meant Mary Kay got out of control if anything like that happened in church, right? Like Tom would have booted us. That would have been insane. That's the pastor's name if you ever watch the podcast. Hey, pastor. Our guitar player rocks. Uh, I am not the lead pastor, so if I say anything wrong today, Scott will fix it next week. Come back, okay? Just come, come back and you'll figure it out, and you'll know that this is not typical church for us. Um, did you know that Easter is coming? Oh, my gosh! You don't know what kind of party that is. That, like, for me, it's, it's going to get uncomfortable. So I'm going to be back there hiding, probably screaming in the back, being way less Baptist than I grew up. Um, but Easter is coming, and you should have noticed that there was a little baggie of just little goodies inside, uh, inside of it on your seats, right? Weren't those waiting for you? Yes, those are your invitations, my friends, but they're not for you. You are already invited. I just did it. I don't need to print anything. That is just for you to invite to your family. Uh, invite to your family. You know, I'm going to keep moving. Uh, but let me pray for you this morning, and uh, we're going to read a really, really really just weird story. Uh, and that's where I like to live, is in the weird. God, we love you so much. We just ask you today as we talk about this miracle, that as we talk about something that this world today is facing, would you go ahead of us now? Help us to understand exactly what you would have us to learn, what you would have us to learn to understand. Would you fight against those things um, that just aren't biblically true, but we somehow believe and squeeze it into our theology and uh, take us far, uh, farther um, than maybe our hearts have ever been willing to go by just letting you own us today. Now, would you, would you pray for the people around you just silently now and just ask God um, to speak to their hearts today? Would you pray for yourselves now that you'd be open-minded today and that you'd hear from Jesus today, however that might happen? God, we love you so much and we trust you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm going to get right into it, and then you're going to realize why I call today a weird day. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. I, can we just admit that I made a bad decision last night. I allowed a three-year-old to, like, sleep next to me. And when I say sleep, I mean emphatically kick, just all night. So I'm already losing an hour, which an hour is not that big a deal. But that little ninja lima bean just, like, got right up in here inside of me. And I don't know if it was, like, a puppy chasing another dog in a dream, but she was, like, Neo from the Matrix, like, triple-kicking me all night. So if I just, like, do that every once in a while, it's like, oh, he's got a toddler, and she's um, malicious. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenesis. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. And broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. 
night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. We're going to take a break from that mess there. Can I be honest with you? I, sometimes, I read the Bi- sometimes I read the Bible, but sometimes when I'm reading it, I'm like, really? Like, is this really what you want to put in the book? You just, you know, it's, it's, it's right up there with the talking donkey. I don't know if you've heard that story, but if you're under the age of 14, it says ass a lot, so that'll, that'll make you laugh a lot. And some of you are, it didn't count as a swear because it was in context. See, that's why you get away with it. <laughs> let, your kids, let your kids do that kind of Christian sinning. It's right up there with, um, with a giant fish who had a pension for Hebrew prophets. Like, I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, you expect me to believe that? You know, when you read Jonah, part of it is him writing in his journal inside the fish, and I'm just going, really? <laughs> now, I know, I'm supposed to be, you know, a pastor, never question anything, Tom, just kind of go with the flow. But that is just not how I'm wired. I question everything. I knew what the inside of my Nintendo looked like Christmas morning, people. I had opened that sucker up, and I had figured it out. I was like, if dust gets in here, it's bad. So I, before anybody told me, I knew about the Nintendo Entertainment Classic uh, cartridge blow. If you don't know, you missed out on the 80s, and it was amazing. Your game's not working? <laughs> you know, you fix it, and you get it back in there. And I, I figured it out. And when I read, when I read books like the Bible, And it's just like, here was this guy, he was filled, chuck full of demons, and everybody's like, isn't God good? Go home, let's have communion together, because that'll be nice. And we just kind of move on and say, isn't Jesus good? This is a weird, weird story. And sometimes in my life, I've just kind of blown right by it. In fact, if you just don't want weird stories because they mess with your faith and you don't really want to go deeper than surface level because the book of Mark was written to a bunch of people in Rome and was written by a guy who had been doubting his faith to the point where Paul didn't want anything to do with him. So my friends, for those of you who struggle with your faith, join me in Mark where things get weird and they test and they poke and they prod. Now, some people um, that I'm friends with, they're, they're atheists, and I like talking to them because they're funny, and we can talk, we can hang out about things, and there's usually one or two questions that I'll get if they really want to talk about faith, but every single one of them, uh, my, I know that one or two questions is going to come up, and do you want to know one of the biggest questions that I get now? They're not asking me about 
uh, anything to do with pro-life or pro-choice. Nobody wants to talk about our current president, so that doesn't come up. They just skip right by it, and they're like, so Tom, you're a pastor. Let's talk about demons. And I'm like, seriously, can we get back to Netflix? Because there's a guy with a laser gun, and it's about to get awesome. And he's like, nah, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think about demon possession? What do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, snap. So it's always like, okay, let's, let's talk about what happens in Mark. I want to set a few things in context because not only do I believe that this story is true, I believe that this story, you could miss how amazing Jesus really is. A lot of times people, like, they treat Christianity like we all just worship Huggy Jesus. If you don't know what Huggy Jesus is, that's just the, it's okay, baby. <laughs> just come on in here and he just, he just holds you and then he'll cry with you and then he'll wipe the tears away from his eyes, mama style, and he'll just say, but you're good, I got you. No, this is freaky Jesus, which is the Jesus that I love the most, I think. Oh, please don't strike me down for these jokes. I just want to make peace with that now. That'd be a good sermon, man. That podcast would go through the roof right there. I told you Scott will fix it if it gets too off. Now, now the reason that I say that is if you know who this is written to, which is people who are facing the empire of Rome, and you can look at it in the context, and I can actually show you the original language. I, I think you'll find out the real reason I love this version of Jesus is because you find the extreme genius of God. And you see why most scholars believe that this chapter is actually political satire. I'm not, not our political satire, Roman political satire. So togas not suits. But he's saying something to them. He's saying something to them. Now, the area that they're in is an area called the Decapolis. We have pictures of this. You can Google Decapolis now if you want and start paying attention. That's what I'd be doing. Um, but I'd like to show you a map right now to show you what the, the Decapolis looks like. It's called that because it's a meeting of 10 cities. It's a very powerful and interesting region, and it's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So last week, Pastor Scott talked to us about a storm that had happened inside of a boat, and Jesus just steps out and said, I can't hear you, one second, peace, be still. What was that? I was texting with my wife during the sermon, I'm sorry, I told you how I live my life. And I have uh, an Amazon Echo at home, right? Any of you had that? It's like Jesus went, Alexa, cancel, what? I loved that joke. They don't love it as much as I do. Why is that? I'm talking to my wife. So what you see here is a region of Galilee in northern Israel. So Israel goes further south. But in this general area right here, you see right in the middle, it says the Sea of Galilee. So a storm happens out there. And now continuing on from surviving said storm, where the disciples called Jesus amazed. In some translations of the word, it says that they were terrified of him in the little boat. If they thought they were scared in a storm, wait till they meet the star of the next story. Then they head into the Decapolis, or Ten Cities, as it's called, ruled by the Roman Empire. And they get out of a boat, and a man who is a guy and is naked and bloody starts running at him like hardcore, which is why I've named today's sermon Naked Bloody Guy, because I don't know what else to call him. Chuck? I, I, I don't know. So naked bloody guy comes running at Jesus, 
If you want to play a game and you can tell me how many times I reference nudity in this passage, like I would really, I'd really enjoy that. I mean, the rest of you, again, Scott will fix it. But for you and me, the rest of you, you know who you are. Let me know. Naked guy comes, naked bloody guy comes running at them, and Jesus doesn't turn away or anything. He starts hollering at them. Now, things that I want you to understand is where Jesus is headed on the left side of the map in Galilee, this is the Jewish side of the area. Once you go into the Decapolis, which is completely run by Rome, there is, there, there is no permission for the Jews to kind of take care of themselves, which is exactly how disgusting Rome refused, uh, referred to them. That this is run by the Roman military. There's a large uh, financial uh, capital in this entire area. It's where, um, if you, if you look at it, there's several famous city, cities that still stand to this day. In fact, you can go to the general area where we think that the man who was possessed by a legion was there. Things that I want you to understand is that the Jews of the time hated Rome, which I think is appropriate. They were invaders. They were known for complete evil. And in the federation of these cities, called the Decapolis, it was actually founded by Alexander the Great. And the importance and significance of that is that the Roman leaders wanted to believe that they were just the extension of everything that Greece should have become and everything that Alexander the Great should have become. So to them, this is significant for their military stronghold. We capture all that Alexander has ever captured and more, for we are the might of Rome. Now, if you read the Bible and you go into the Old Testament, there's another crazy book of the Bible that you've just got to read because what is happening in there, and that's the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel talks about having a vision of four beasts that come out of the sea, and the word for sea that's used in there is the same word that we use for chaos. It's evil. They don't like it, and it's against all of the laws and the order of God. So those beasts, we believe, most, most likely, the first beast was the Babylonians, and then the second was the Persians, who took over after that, and then the Greeks, that's Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire. And for them, there was nothing that they wanted more than this evil empire, than this, what they referred to as a nation of pigs, would be pushed back into the evil sea, because the sea to them represented all evil and chaos. If you're thinking with me, you might already see where this is going. Jesus chooses every person he wants to heal. He chooses every word he ever wants to say and exactly where he wants to do it. Jesus is up to something. There was nothing that they wanted more than to drive that pig nation back to the sea. And what's funny is R Rome actually embraced it. There's another picture I want to show you. In fact, when they heard about this, they laughed, so they adopted an insignia. This is an actual insignia that Rome used, um, and they chose a wild boar, which is all spread out, if you see that. This is the very legion that was run into the Decapolis. You can see it right here. What happens when a Jewish carpenter comes across and slays a bunch of pigs in front of a legion of Romans? Perhaps he gets talked about at least mentioned. So I want to go through the story and I want to break down some things with you because Jesus, you could name this story, if you want to call it a story, or this, what I believe to be a historical event 
that was written and captured so beautifully by Mark that it was considered satire. Satire being the mix of humor to use and reveal truth. I believe the story could be read as Jesus' invasion of an occupied territory. So, verse 1, 5, 1. I'm going to keep computer guys like totally on their toes today because I'm going to go all over the place. They went across the lake, chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenesis. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet them. It's not where I want to hang out, but there it is. Things that you should know right away. Any person in Jewish religion, in the Hebrew religion, is that if you have touched a dead thing, you are now considered unclean. Therefore, you must go through a cleansing ceremony called a mikvah. It's where we are inspired and we receive baptisms from, that idea of submersion to represent holiness in order to ever be cleansed and worthy of it. And this guy who is also covered in blood, that same thing would require you to perform a mikvah, comes running at him and he is stark naked, which would require you to, I don't get out of there. It's just a terrible thing. And from what we know, heading into this, this unclean man, this clearly sociopathic, disturbed man, Verse 3, this man lived in tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Some basic signs that I want to give you of somebody who is under demonic impression. You see this. Isolation is the first thing. He's been put away from all of society. The Jews didn't know what to do with him. Rome simply didn't know what to do with him. He was caught into bondage. There was no free will left of him. He was under the influence of others, you could say. The next one is sadism, which is an obsession with death that he may have been overcoming at that time or trying to, or an extreme form of mental illness, which is usually what my friends want to talk about, is do you really think that people were demon-possessed back then, or do you think that there was a form of schizophrenia happening? I don't know. And nary will I ever say that somebody who is going through a mental illness, that means that they're possessed or vice versa. I'm just saying the world is complicated, and there are wild things happening, but Clearly the man is not well. Can we agree on that? Naked bloody guy is not okay, right? Dr. Phil cannot handle this dude, all right? Six, he's naked. I just wanted to throw that in there for those of you who are keeping a tally. And uh, number seven is that we know that he's cutting himself. Thousands of years later, we still see this problem in pro perhaps in a more acute way than ever before where... Cutting can be anything from a form of self-punishment, of just saying, I'm bad, I'm disgusting, or it can be an escape and a way to break away from the, numb the numbness of pain. The, the, the song lyric that says, uh, I bleed just to know that I'm alive. A desperate attempt to get attention from maybe a mother or a father or a family who just will not listen to me, or, or it can be a sign, I believe, of demonic control or influence over a man or woman. But when this beast... And that's what I'll call him at this current state, is face-to-face -face with Jesus. Watch what happens. Verse 6. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? What do you want with me? 
It's actually a somatic idiom if you were to study the original language. Why are you bothering me is one way that you could say it. Why are you interfering with me is another way to say it. What's your business here can be translated to what do you want with me? You're Israel's Messiah. Stay, this is Gentile territory. You're not in the right place. What are you doing on my turf? Which is why some scholars believe that demons in the way that that evil and darkness in this world works is actually regional. That they're like, this is my home. This is my land. What do you think you're doing over here? You're trespassing. Your kingdom thing that you're building is over there. He's confused. He's upset and mad. And he says, Jesus, son of the most high God. I've always thought of that. Now, the quick way that you could say that is you could just assume that that's just him saying what? Even the demons believe, right? Which Jesus says later in the Gospels. But look at this. It's because it's interesting language here. The same terminology that the Romans used in Greco-Roman pantheons is they would say the Most High God in their very temples. So in the very Roman pantheon, you could go to this and you could point and you could say whatever their form of Zeus is, they could say Most High God but this demon is redefining it. And Jesus catches it. And the Jews also used to distinguish Yahweh as Yahweh, the Most High God. See, a lot of people like to debate and say, well, you know, if you, if you read the Bible, if you look at ancient texts, there are thousands of other religions who are all claiming the same thing. They all have similar stories. They, you know, you could go to, to uh, Greek literature and you could say Hercules. You could go to Jewish literature and you could say Samson. And people want to make debates about this. Well, the fact is, is that they acknowledge this in this time and age, and that's exactly why they use similar languages, because they were debating on whose God is in control and real. The problem with that debate is that Yahweh always wins, and it makes people really feisty. This was a complete ploy. It was thought, actually, what the demon thought he was doing, in my opinion, is that in ancient exorcism, what they truly believe that is if you called out your enemy by name, that you would have advantage over him or her. Uh, and he does that. But then he follows that up with, don't torture me. <laughs> Which is an awesome way of saying he quickly or they quickly realized this was not just a nice teacher. What's up, son of the most high God? Don't kill me. <laughs> happens almost immediately. My name is Legion, he, he responds. When Jesus asks him, what's your name? I'm not playing games. Oh, you want to you wanna call me by name? How about you just give me yours? And he obeys him. And he says, Legion, for we are many. Now we read this and we say, legion, legion. What, what is a legion? A legion was the largest Roman military unit, upward of around 6,000 soldiers. We know that. They were known for their brutality and destruction. And this man is demonized not just by one impure spirit, but in the text language by many, begged not to leave the region because it's their home. Man, that's interesting that on Roman territory, he starts using Roman military language. And that's where the back and forth continues. Now, as we continue the story, 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus again not to send him out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd, everybody say herd, I want you to get that with me, herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay, the Bible doesn't make it exactly clear who kills the pigs. Why do you say, send us to the pigs only to drown yourselves immediately afterwards? See, the way that I, I, I believe that evil spirits work is that they're like, they're like parasites. They require something to feed on. They require that. And I, I think there's basically three options. Option one is that Jesus somehow made the pigs kill themselves and run into the sea, and in doing so, kills the demons and sends them away from this earth. That's so much better than an ex exorcism. B, option B, the spirits killed the pigs, which doesn't really make sense because they wanted to go into them to stay alive. Option C, I almost did the A1, A2, C, Roman numeral 3. When the pigs were overcome by the spirit, maybe, maybe it made them freak out because they did not have the capacity like a human mind would be able to handle, and it made them break into stampede and run into the sea. And if this is right, then the very thing that the spirits were trying to avoid happens, which would make the story ironic, which is my favorite form of humor. Either way, either way, they were driven back to the sea, back into the deathly evil of all being, which is what the Jewish people considered the sea. That's why they were terrified of it. And then all the power is back in Jesus' court. Let me go to verse... 14 through 20. I want to look at this together. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You know, Gerasenesis itself uh, one of the translations for the word is the area of the cast out ones. And who lives there? The Gentiles. But the term right mind that's used here is not saying it's a word called shalom. Now, some people, you would translate shalom as peace, but shalom is so much richer than just peace. You see, if I, if I have peace with my wife, we're just not fighting right now, Okay. Now, shalom is we're doing life together well. We're speaking together well. We're probably still arguing because we live together, okay? But we're learning how to do that well together. If you're at peace with your finances, it just means that you're probably not overwhelmed and, or that you're making healthy payments. But if you're in shalom with your finances, that means you have a great understanding of how much money is coming in and what should go out and where your future lies, where your investment should lie. That means to have shalom there. It's so much richer than peace because it's alive. It's not just a state of being. It's a state of action and living. And it's saying that this man is there dressed, which means somebody helped him put his life back together. 
in a complete shalom, which perhaps the area of the cast out ones had never experienced before. Then the people began to plead, verse 17, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Then he tells Jesus, tells everyone what Jesus had done for them, and the people were amazed. So the man went away and began to tell into the capitalist how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. The word amazed here is both, I am in awe and freaked out, Tom translation, terrified. The same state that just a few disciples had had in a boat from watching Jesus calm a storm. Now an entire region is experiencing. And the disciples are like, I know. I know, get in a boat with the dude. It's insane. It's a complex story. It's a very complex story. I think that there's three main characters in the story. The first one is the spirits, or legion, the people of the nearby town, and of course, our good friend, Naked Bloody Guy. Now we've seen, um, we've seen this today. This same kind of darkness that happens in the world today, we've, we've seen this. You've experienced it, or you've at least heard, heard about it. This kind of darkness or sociopathic behavior in the world. In his book, Mindhunter, John E. Douglas, he talks about darkness and evil in the world. And he says that he never trusts a diagnosis for whether a serial killer should be given an insanity plea in, or, in order that he could be in future parole, he or she, but mostly he, or a truly reformed note from a psychologist going to a parole board because serial killers know what to say to sound human. Have you ever heard, and we're hearing this constantly, and it's becoming an epidemic in our country today, and there's constantly evil happening in this world where we're saying, how could another human being do this? When we heard only a few years ago how three young ladies had been locked up and tortured for a decade by a kidnapper and serial killer, we say, how could a human being do this? And my friend, you're asking the right question. How could a human being do that? So Tom, are you saying that those guys are possessed by demons? Is that what's happening? I know, my friend, I, I too am of a scientific mind. I just don't practice scientism. So I don't worship anything but Jesus. But at the same time, I'm stopping and I'm looking and I'm saying, you know, we have data. But at the same time, we, we look at evil things. And what I will say is this. So stay with me. Track with me here. There's a difference between being possessed and there being dark influences. And yes, with my whole heart, I believe that there are dark influences in this world that we are simply just cutting off and saying that they are the small few. And I am saying, no, that there is an enemy, there is a devil, and I see evidence of it far too often. I, I, I do wonder, part of me, I, I've shared with you before 
that I struggle with a form of mental illness. I have general anxiety disorder, and I uh, deal with depression. So do I believe there's like a bunch of demons cooking around me and just going, Bleh. no, I, I, don't, I don't know. But I will say that when Tom is not wanting to hide in a bedroom and Tom wants to go out and act in ministry, I don't think Satan likes it. Because all of a sudden, people's lives start changing. And not because of my great prowess or skill, but simply because it's one person who wants to love more people out in the world. And I don't think darkness knows what to do with real love. I don't think true evil in this world knows what to do with grace, and it just tries to kill it. And what do you do when you cannot be stopped? They get angry. They get angry. So I'm not saying depressed people need exorcisms. <laughs> I do think they need prayer. I have the help of doctors and therapists, but I, I need prayer. Because our kind judgments that we give to each other do not help anyone grow and step into the light. Fight the darkness. And this is what Jesus does that's so interesting. He never yells at the man. Jesus never starts yelling at him and says, put some pants on if I'm even going to talk to you. Reasonable request. <laughs> he calls out the evil, not the person. Do you track with me on that? And I think what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to draw a parallel that you fight the darkness not the person. And when I keep this in front of my mind, I'm able to hang on to the process of forgiving those who have hurt me. Because I remember, it wasn't those people that hurt me, it is darkness trying to stop me. I don't believe that people who hurt me are all, all possessed by demons, but track with me. I don't think that Jesus wants us wounding each other. And if I know anything well, Christians, we're really good at eating our own. And Jesus had a way of ministering to people that dealt with darkness in this world. And he did it through prayer, but he also did it through compassion and throwing away potentially his own testimony because he went to Zacchaeus' house. There's little doubt in my mind that there is a connection between darkness and the oppressive powers in our world today. There have been demonic powers that kept Rome in power for a thousand years. And, and I would not be surprised at all to learn that there was darkness behind the genocide in Syria, the injustice of North Korea, the violence of the Congo, that there are malignant powers animating the leadership from the very top down. But who is Mark writing to decades after this has happened? Who Mark is writing to is he's writing to Christians who are hiding in Rome, specifically from an evil leader named Nero, who we know also was a madman. The saying was is that Nero fiddled while Rome burnt down to the ground. He was a Hitler-like madman. But rather than starting a violent revolution, rather than taking the empire head-on, he sees past the facade, past the Roman soldier nailing him to the cross. He seals the re he sees the real power in the shadows, and he deals with that. All that to say, for our struggle is not against flesh in blood, but against the powers and the spiritual forces of evil in this world, as Paul tells us. My friends, make sure 
that we are fighting in the right place. Otherwise, we might be fighting the very people that we should be saving. You make sure. We know that it, it's, it's quickly becoming an American pastime in the church to say things like, I couldn't disagree with you more. And we have become almost imbecilic about how to have difficult conversations because we come from a point, and I am so guilty at this, we come from a point from arguing our side instead of loving a person. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what your stance is on anything. I just know that there's breath in your lungs. Therefore, it was placed there by the Creator, and I love you. And I must live my life in a way that tells you that I love you more than whether or not I agree or disagree with you. Church, it is time for us to fight darkness with love and less of our opinions. For your opinions will destroy your platform. Make your platform about something that actually matters. It will last long past your tombstone fades away. For most of the existence of planet Earth, you're dead. So with this very small vapor of a life, love, love, and see past the facade of opinions and rights that you may hold on to, throw it all away at the foot of the cross so the people will know that they are loved. I missed the opportunity to love somebody in my life. And they died suddenly. And just because of the very fact that I'm a Christian, he believed that he had to hide this himself from me. Because he was a gay man, he felt like he had to hide from me. Just because my name was Christian. How dare we allow that to happen? There are people in this world who when they think of us, they don't think about Jesus anymore. They think about whether or not they agree with us. And they assume that we hate. We have to fight back with love. See, past the facade, I am not anything more than the actions that I take in this life. And as the great theologian Ray Romano said, 100 years, dead, all new people. So make time with it, with love. And don't allow another person to think that you would deny their affections simply because of what you agree or disagree with. Jesus casts out darkness and then clothed him. No questions asked other than, are you a human being? It is time for the church to preach Jesus and less about our opinions. I'll take that silence as agreement, my friends. You know, lots of people are fine with Jesus. Jesus the Savior, a lot of us are fine with. But Jesus the Lord, oh man. Because he does something nasty at the end of the story. 2,000 pigs. Now, I'm not up to date on current pig data. 
but I know that 2,000 of anything is a lot. And this could have very well possibly been an economic meltdown. So no wonder they say, we'll keep the pigs and the naked bloody guy. We want to toss the Messiah. Lots of people are fine with Jesus as long as he doesn't really change anything. You touch my money. Touch our budget. That's safety. I have kids, Jesus. That's that's not part of our five-year plan. Don't, don't, don't touch that. I knew that Christian. You're talking about money. It's in the kill. I didn't kill the pigs. The problem is, is that Jesus is disturbing by nature. We want Jesus as long as he doesn't mess with our lifestyle. Don't tell me that this is a temple make this into whatever I want, man. I'll make this into a high tower if I want. We want Jesus when he's Jesus the add-on. We want Jesus when Jesus is the ticket to go somewhere else when I die. We want Jesus the accessory to the ensemble. Oh, and, and, and I'm spiritual. Yes, I find Jesus very interesting. Because let me tell you the truth. You, you really don't want to identify with the people in this story you have naked bloody guy who is healed get this and the people are crazy the demon possessed guy is fully sane and the people go nuts i'm going to say it again the demon possessed guy is now sane and the people go nuts jesus is disturbing and let me tell you, my friends, if you haven't felt shaken in a while, you step an inch closer to the cross, and things will get uncomfortable because they'll start mattering. It's amazing. Jesus tells him, go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Here's what we know about the Decapolis. If you look in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 31, we see here that... Um, Jesus eventually goes back to the area. Uh, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, and he went through uh, Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. We know that Jesus makes his way back there. And in Mark chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, we see a very famous story. You'll probably recognize this reference of it. The people uh, ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets and broke in pieces and were left over. About 4,000 men were present. We always wonder, how did that many people show up? We know Jesus was followed by a lot of people, but he wasn't followed by the Silver Dome. Hey, rest in peace. Where do I think that crowd came from? I speculate. Naked bloody guy knows how to draw a crowd. Why does he want people to stay? Why does he want people to stay? Why does he want people to stay? First thing that I want you to know is when Jesus calls you out, he calls you by name. It's his choice. Whatever you have named yourself, I don't know what naked bloody guy called himself beforehand, but afterwards it was whatever Jesus wants to call him, you, you got to believe. He was like, you bet, that is my name now. You are not whatever you name yourself. You are not whatever your accusers have named you. That is why forgiveness is so important. And I want to tell you this, because I've believed this statement for a long time, but as I get older, read punished. <laughs> I 
remaining. <laughs> uh, I, I've learned this. Your worst days are your most important days because your pain is your platform to talk about his grace. Your pain is unique to you, and it is your platform. Now, the way that typically we treat it is your pain is your business. Keep it to yourself. Now, you got one life, buddy, and I got to tell you something. In 100 years, no one's going to know or care about any of your secrets unless you, like, have the launch codes or something. Then they're going to care. But my guess, based on the Macomb region, is most of us are going to disappear, and at best, they'll find your Facebook page buried <laughs> 30 feet underground, but no one's going to really care. That secret that you're holding on to right now, that you're like, you don't know what God's trying to deliver me from, I'm telling you, that's unique to you, probably not as unique as you think. Your pain is a platform. I want you to know something about Jesus. Our God is the God who goes to the other side of the lake. Is that not crazy? He could have stayed. A storm tries to wipe him out. You think Jesus musters up a storm before he starts doing exorcisms just for the fun of it? Or do you think darkness perhaps was trying to shut him down? He's going to ruin the Decapolis. He's going to make history. The scary thing about this story for most of my friends who do not believe is when I start showing them that we can easily find the exact area where this is at. There are places in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Galilean area that are very difficult to find. We're not even totally sure, based on archaeological evidence, where Nazareth is. But we can find exactly where Legion lost everything and Jesus won. Isn't that interesting? Because when you pound darkness and light shines that bright, it shines for a long, long time, more than you and I could ever find. When Jesus shuts down an entire economic system, it puts a dent in the earth. And imagine, I don't know Naked Bloody Guy's name, He's probably going to give me serious heat for this sermon if he ever finds out about it. But I'm going to meet him to heaven. And I really hope he says nice pants. I just... <laughs> and I'm going to say, this one time in Macomb, in the middle of a gymnasium, that's why he and her are here. Because I told them about what you did. And he's like, that's all I ever wanted. Your worst days are your most important days because that is your platform. Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. We, we have the, the hardest time, I believe, sharing Jesus. Strangers is almost easier. People that you actually know, like your neighbor or anybody in your family, you're like, oh, once I bring up religion, it's, it's just weird from then on. I get it. But if you leave the story differently, hey, I once was this way, this way, and by the power of the Lord, I'm changed. That's powerful. That's amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I was telling Pastor Scott, like, 
What if there would have been like a sixth verse where Naked Bloody Guy got a, got a shout out? I once was naked and covered in blood, but lived in a graveyard. No one sings that verse in church. It's a weird story. But without that, without what must have been the worst season of his life, no one would have ever heard about the greatness of Jesus. Your pain is your platform. May you not squander it on safety. May you not squander it. And may you realize, my dear new friends, may you realize something that we struggle not against people, flesh and blood, but against the darkness of this world. Your painful platform is your shining light. Stand up and tell this world, there is a God, his name is Jesus, and he's changing me. And I don't care don't care what we agree or disagree on. I just agree that we both need oxygen, and Jesus has changed my life. Can I, can I just tell you my story? And some will say, no. But one might say, yes. God, we love you. We trust you. You are a God of angel armies. The book of Daniel tells us about how just to pray for you, to pray to you, that there are often battles being waged for those prayers to even get to you. That's how we even know who Michael is, an angel who is fighting for us. God, may we not be a church that sinks into the monotony of surviving from day-to-day -day life, but may we be a church that sings loud, we love all who breathe and may all who enter here know that this is a safe place to step onto your platform because brother, sister, we'll go old school. I've been there before. I need Jesus too. Jesus, for those who are doubting today, help them realize that part of believing in you is also doubting because that is when we are stretched to go to another place. Use us well and may our life be our greatest song. You guys can stand and sing with us.
Thank you. You guys may be seated. Thank you, Tom, for an awesome message and uh, in the series on miracles. And um, one of our goals in this series is for you to experience the wonders of Jesus. And when you start looking at these miracles, you know, we've talked about some of these miracles. You know, where Jesus spits mud and makes mud. He spits into the dirt, makes mud, and put it on someone's eyes and help him. Another story, he's a guy that couldn't hear. He spits in the guy's ear and helps that guy hear. And, you know, we start seeing these things and hear stories like this. It's a man, this is, it's just crazy. It's messy. And here's what I've learned, that Jesus can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. And these stories here that happened 2,000 years ago, I pray that it resonates with us because Jesus can take your mess, whatever your mess is, and turn it into a miracle. And here's this man, fully clothed, making a difference in his region. I pray that you'll be challenged you know, and you understand that God's amazing grace has changed you and that you want to be a, a different maker and impact people in your life. And so some next steps, I pray that your next step, if you're looking at the back of your card, your connection card, it says, my next step is to invite friends, family members, coworkers, and strangers, anybody I know, anybody I don't know, to Easter, and I want to make a difference. Coming up is Easter season. And Easter is one of the biggest days of the year where people think about church. They may just go to church out of religious obligation, you know, or a holiday obligation, but we want to use it as a life-changing opportunity. We want them to see that their messy lives can be changed by the power of God. And you have an opportunity in the next three weeks to invite people. You got invite cards. You couldn't sit down today unless you pick up a little bag and your invite cards. And I hope that you take those invite cards and, 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 and hand them out. And this is just a starter kit. If you need more cards, we have more. And we've got them out on the table. And I hope you'll get them out. We also have another card um, that says, Join me at Lake Point Church. And it looks like this. We have those cards out there. New cards. Uh, two kinds of cards. We want to encourage you to get the word out, make an impact, and let people know about who Jesus is. Invite them to church. Let them hear the gospel. Let them hear the message of Jesus Christ that's coming up. And so next step, I pray that maybe that's your next step. You know what? I'm going to go after it. And if that's you, you say, you know what? I want to do that. I'm going to be intentional, intentional about making the most out of this little vapor of life that we have and making a difference in people's lives. Uh, so I pray that you would do that. I've got my box checked off because I want to be a difference maker. I want to challenge people. I, want to, I care about people. I want to fight darkness with love. I want to preach the truth in love. I want people to know who Jesus is. And I pray that your heart and your desires as well. Um, got some other stuff in the back here in your program. There's a coming up. It's called Love Week. Love Week. Not this week, but next week. we got four different opportunities for you to get in, 
involved in some way to love our community. We're going to love our teachers and, and uh, schools by dropping up bagels and coffee for them in the morning just because. Just because. We're going to love on our first responders, EMS workers, uh, firefighters, firefighters, uh, police officers. We're going to drop off goodie bags. If you want to be a part of that, you know, let us know in the back of your connection card. Um, we're gonna, we have a ladies event where we uh, hear stories and loving on those who have been involved in human trafficking and how we can be hands and feet in a very dark, dark world that's happening in our own backyard. And how can we love on those who have been hurt and uh, who've been abused? And so this is an opportunity for you to be a part of that. We're going to love on our missionaries. we got four guys that we're going to be loving, some local missionaries that we support. And, uh, and they're, you know, ministry is lonely sometimes. We want to church a guy to hang out with them, love on those guys. And uh, so several ways that we're doing, let us know in the back of your connection card. In just a minute, we're going to have our offering. You can drop that in our offering basket. And um, we're going to take our offering just in a second here. And this is your opportunity to give. Some of you are giving online. Thank you for giving, and uh, thank you for being a part of that. This next week, it's the last uh, official week of our Toys Tomorrow campaign. Toys Tomorrow, we had a commitment back in November to raise $352,000. And so next Sunday, it's, a, it's our eighth, eighth year anniversary service next year. Eight years at Lake Point Church, we're going to be celebrating we're going to be celebrating all that God has done here. We're going to have a special time of an offering early in the service, and then we're going to announce a grand total. So I pray that next Sunday that you'll pray about being a part of that offering. Some of you are already given, but maybe God has, has been speaking to your heart. Maybe God working your heart. Maybe God has provided some experts. You know what? We can do a little, little bit more, you know, and, and however that may look like, that's next Sunday. And uh, I'm praying that we will see God do great things. We're going to continue our series on miracles. And, um, and next Sunday can be great. We're going to look at the, the four men who carried a paralyzed man to Jesus. And that's a great story. We're going to see how that story unfolds next Sunday on our 8th anniversary. It's going to be a great day. I hope you'll be here next week. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the offering. Father God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for that you are the God that saves you are a miracle-working God that can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. And we have seen that over and over and over again in this sermon series. And uh, stories that doesn't make sense, that seems a little weird. But God, there's weirdness in our lives, too. Weirdness in the world that we live in. Darkness. God, you can take darkness and redeem it for your glory and for your, for your, um, for your opportunity to spread your name to make your name more great. And so, God, I pray that you bless the offering. Thank you for those who've given. Be with those and bless those who are about to give. Bless the given as well as the giver. In your name I pray. Amen.
so glad that you guys came here today to worship with us. I know you lost an hour of sleep, so I hope you get through a nap in this afternoon. And uh, we've got an extra hour of daylight. We start seeing that tonight, so that's a win for us. We always enjoy that. And uh, But if you're a first-time guest, I'd love to meet you. Uh, we'll have a, uh, I believe Tom will be out there. We'd love for you to meet him. We'd love to give you a free gift for coming today and being our special guest here at Lake Point Church. Hope to see you next Sunday. Invite somebody to be your guest as we celebrate eight.